0: I just thank you for every person here. And God, I thank you for every need represented in this room this morning. And God, we thank you that as a good father brings you great pleasure to meet the needs of your children. And so, Lord, we thank you that in this moment, in this moment right now, you're releasing your promises, you're releasing uh, the healing, you're releasing the provision, you're releasing the deliverance right now. And we thank you that in the coming days, in this moment, in the coming days, we're going to see your promises come to pass. And Lord, I pray that there would be a steadfastness in the hearts of each person here this morning to continue to believe, to stay hopeful in your promises. So we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, why don't you turn to somebody and say, don't lose hope, stay hopeful. Well, good to see everybody. Um, we got a few announcements here this morning. I know I think it was last week we missed our our uh, our Wednesday night service because of weather. It was negative forty with the wind chill, and I know some of you guys that's nothing. But uh, so anyway, this this uh, Wednesday, January twelfth. Okay, it started January twelfth. Uh, this Wednesday whatever the date is, uh, we'll be here at 6.30, youth will be at the DF, and uh, there's, child, or there's kids are here, uh, but youth are at the Destiny Fitness. Um, if anybody's interested in volunteering for the ca- coffee bar, I think they will train you in. I don't think they'll just stick you back there. Uh, they will train you, hopefully, uh, because I like coffee. And I like when it's good. <laughs> uh, you can talk to either Jamie Shelley, here in the front, or Stephanie Quornemone. Um There are ballet classes at Destiny Fitness. And I know a few young ladies who were at it, and they said they loved it. So those are that's Saturdays. I think it's every other Saturday. If you need more information, you can talk to Ryan Carey or Dave Drexler. They both are at Destiny Fitness and can give you more details. Um, there's prayer Sunday mornings at 915 if you have more questions about that, you can talk to Linda. Um, and if you have any questions or concerns or need to update your information, information, you can also talk to Dave Drexler about that. And one last thing for the men, there's a men's summit. Um, it's at Lake Beauty Bible Camp, which I think is by Long Prairie. And that begins this Friday night. Check in. We have more uh, bulletins, and it's up on the... Thank you. Well done. Um, so it starts Friday night, and I think it goes till Sunday morning. And there's more details uh, either there or there's some of these flyers on the table. So there are a few different speakers. Uh, I think it's Pete Reischus, and then there's a Jeff Ferguson, and then a Jeremy Quamenemone Quaminum- Quaminum- or something. I, never heard of the guy. Uh, no, I, I was asked to share as well, so I'll be there. Actually, not sure when I'm sharing, but... I will be ready. So, um, if you, uh, if ushers could help me, we're gonna give you the opportunity to give this morning your tithes and offerings. Uh, if you need, a, if you're giving cash, you need an envelope. You can raise your hand. If you're writing out checks, you can write to Destiny Church. And there's options to give online or text to give, or you can mail a check in as well. So, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity this morning to give, we thank you that you love a cheerful giver, and a cheerful giver is one who knows that when they give, you take care of us, that as we give, you not only take care of our needs, but you give us, you give back, pressed down, shaken together, and running over to those who are generous and to those who are about your kingdom So we do give joyfully and cheerfully this morning because we know the Father. We know uh, the one who gives back. We know the one who cares for every one of our needs over and above. So we thank you for it. Uh, And we give cheerfully this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead, ushers, you can pass those buckets. And we have an amazing treat this morning. Uh, Last week, Sam spoke, and this week, Lauren is speaking so would you help me welcome Lauren?
1: Quiminim. Quimminam. Quiminum. Quiminum. It's hilarious. I just go to spelling it because there's no use in trying it if you, you know, Quanamon. I think it took me a year to learn how to spell that. It also took me a year to figure out who was in that family. There was five, and there was five. Didn't quite know who they were. Good morning. I'm Lauren Quanamon. <laughs> I get the privilege of bringing the word this morning, which is awesome, and it's really good to see you guys. Good to be here together. We are a community of believers, and I'm expecting that God's speaking this morning. In preparation for this message, um, I just felt the tenderness of Jesus toward you here, toward us this morning. Um, You know, it talks about there's new mercies every morning. I just felt like there was fresh mercy and fresh compassion that the Lord was wanting to meet with us today, but that he was coming as a God of compassion to meet and to um, strengthen hearts, to strengthen arms. It's no doubt that you go through things in life, and this morning, he just—it was like he just wanted you to know he's here with you. Um, This morning, I'm going to—my message is titled, A Heart That Burns, Come on, Steph. Woo! Sorry. <laughs> I didn't see it either. It's always a surprise once you get up here, and so it's just kind of fun. Anyway, um, a heart that burns, a heart that responds to the Lord and that has the softness to know and recognize when he comes into the room or when he's speaking to you, when you hear his whisper, or you hear his footsteps, it... You know, Hebrews talks about our senses being trained, that we'd be aware of what he's doing and, and what he's speaking, and that's a normal thing as a son and as a daughter. Um, let's pray and let's just embark on that A message this morning. So, Father, I just thank you that you are here in this room. God, I thank you that as we called out Yeshua, or as we said Jesus, and we reminded ourselves of your faithfulness and the promises that you've already given us, God, I thank you that you were walking amongst your sons and daughters already this morning. I thank you for your tenderness toward them. I thank you that you see them through eyes of mercy and compassion and love, perfect love. And this morning we just ask that you'd come and that you would um, speak to us and call us higher to know you more and more and more. And I just thank you, Father God, that just as John shared, that heaviness would be lifted this morning chains would be broken and that captives would be set free. I thank you, God, that you're present and that you're here with us and that we would recognize you. In Jesus' name, anoint these words, amen. Um, I, I kind of was meditating on this, a heart that burns as opposed to a heart that doesn't. And. There's a few passages in Scripture that always catch my eye when I'm reading through them. And, you know, one one couple, they're not a couple, but they were grouped together, at least in Scripture, in Luke, is Simeon and Anna. And the significance of Simeon and, and Anna, you know, we just walked through Christmas where Jesus was born. But it says that after Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph, they came and they were going to present him in the synagogue. And it says there was a man named Simeon there. He was an older man. He was an elderly man, and I'll just read it. This is the Passion. It was kind of very descriptive, and I just appreciate the descriptions. But it says that he was an elderly man that was there waiting, a resident of Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. He was a good man, a lover of God who kept himself pure, and the spirit of holiness rested upon him. Simeon believed in the eminent appearing of the one called the refreshing of Israel. He believed, and then... Because the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not see death before he saw the Messiah, the anointed one of God. So keeping his promise, the Holy Spirit led Simeon into the temple court at the very moment that Jesus' parents entered to fulfill the requirement of the sacrifice. It goes on to describe how Simeon met Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And I know I'm just jumping right in. I just don't feel like I want to do a lot of fluff this morning, if that's okay. I mean, we could talk about how cold it is and how Minnesota you know, has a way. Okay, I will say this, it's the middle of January, guys, right? And I'm not going on a vacation anytime soon, but I was trying to think, how could I experience a little bit of spring? Two things. They don't cost very much. Number one. Go get a car wash where you actually wash your own car. The humidity does something to yourself. You know what I'm saying? Where you actually wash your own car. Or walk through a greenhouse. I feel like those things could be healing to our hearts right now. Because it's pretty tough. But anyway, enough. I didn't want to do a lot of fluff, so I'm jumping in. Anyway. So Mary and Joseph, they walk into the place, and Simeon, who had been there waiting, who had been standing upon this promise that he was going to see this promised one, he recognized them. Now, this wasn't the only baby that was coming to be presented. This was a traditional thing. People were having children. And so it was significant that he knew when he saw them that this was the Messiah. This was the promised one. And it says he came up to them and he cradled the baby in his arms. And then he prophesied over the child and said, you are the one that we've been waiting for and you will redeem us from the fall. He saw this in that child. His eyes were able to recognize. And then he prophesied over Mary and Joseph. I don't know, as Mary and Joseph, I'm, I would be really thankful for that moment. You'd have something miraculous. There's still the opportunity to question because it pretty much looked typical. And so they were carrying these things in their heart, but God comes again to confirm it again and says, no, this is the one. You have brought redemption to the world, but be aware because it will—you will, your heart is going to be pierced, Mary. God comes again and he visits. And Simeon was the one that got to carry the word. But it's because he had shepherded his heart to recognize when God walked into the room. As he was doing that, there was a lady there named Anna. It says a prophetess named Anna was also in the temple court that day. She was very old. Some people think that she was 106. There's multiple translations that that they surmise she was She'd been in the temple for 84 years, she had been widowed for seven years, so she had been married prior to that, and I don't know, average age of getting married back in the day was pretty young, but let's say 15, I don't know. Anyway, would put her at around 106. I did the math, because it was like, what in the world? But it says she was there, because after her husband died, she chose to worship God in the temple continually. And says, for the past 84 years, she had been serving God with night and day prayer and fasting. While Simeon was prophesying over Mary and Joseph and the baby, Anna walked up to them and burst forth with great chorus of praise to God for the child. She, she recognized him. She saw him. And she knew the significance of what was happening at that moment. And I love how her response was with so much joy and energy. She was not tired. She was excited. And she knew the significance of this moment. She also shepherded her heart to recognize when Jesus had come. And they had nothing to compare this to other than prophecies that they'd probably written or that they'd probably read and heard. Maybe just heard. Because I don't think she'd probably read them herself. But she had shepherded her heart to look for promise. And when Jesus came, she saw it. And then she says, from that day forward, she still went on. She told everyone in Jerusalem who was waiting for their redemption and the anticipated, that the anticipated Messiah had come. You know, there's a couple others. Back in the day, there was a song. Back in the day, I can say that. I'm 35 now. But there was a song. It's John Mark McMillan. And it's called Closer, and he's, right? Come on. If you know it, you also blasted it in your car, screaming, son of David, don't pass me by. Anyway, um, it's a story about blind Bartimaeus. You know, this man had been blind, and he was begging, and he had heard the jostle of a crowd And he didn't have physical sight to see, but he knew that something was happening. His heart was stirred that something was happening. And he said, what's going on? And they said, well, it's Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, he stood up and he screamed, son of David, have mercy on me. The significance of that is they introduced him as Jesus of Nazareth. It was just a name from a town. But his call out to Jesus was son of David, which recognized him as a Messiah. And he called out from his great need and he said, have mercy on me. And it said the crowd pushed him and said, don't, just quiet, quiet, don't disturb him, don't disturb him. And it said he would not stop. He lifted his voice again and he said, son of David, have mercy on me. This was his shot because Jesus was passing by. And it said that Jesus turned and the same crowd that had shushed him, Jesus said, call him to me. So they said, Bartimaeus, he's calling for you. Jesus recognized him back, and he restored him. He recognized the Messiah, even though his eyes were blind and he couldn't see him. But he knew he was in his proximity, and he shouted out, and he would not stop. These are people who shepherded their hearts to recognize when the Lord came this is our, these are our examples. These are the ones that make me go, oh, I don't want to, don't pass me by. There's something in our hearts that leaps when he comes. It's so normal to begin to respond to him. It takes a lot to actually stuff that down. There was one other example, which I just really think is powerful, and it's the woman with the issue of blood, and it said, she wasn't supposed to be out. She was uh, culturally unclean. She was meant to be concealed. And she had been concealed for 12 years. And she had tried everything to be better. And it says that she pushed her way through a crowd because she knew that Jesus was walking through. And as she pushed through a heavy Crowd, she knew that if she could just touch the tassel, touch the hem, that she would be healed. Some some don't even know if she was Jewish or if she was a Gentile, but at this time she knew that if she touched him, that there would be healing. The significance of this is when she got her miracle and she was restored, she wanted to just keep it at that and slink back, you know, just leave because she didn't want the publicity. She was just going to be quiet, but Jesus stopped what he was doing, and he asked the question, who touched me? The disciples looked at him, and they were like, what are you talking about? Everybody's touching you. Here's the question. What was the difference between everybody else touching Jesus and the woman who reached out to grab healing? It's that she knew who she was reaching for. She knew what he carried, and she knew her great need. I'm telling you these things because these are examples of those that did not let their heart grow cold or hard, but they shepherded their heart to reach toward the Lord. And in the end, he turned around and he recognized them and filled them and honored them. And you are those that reach to the Lord because you're here this morning. You are those who woke up this morning in January in a really cold day and said, whatever, it's worth it to just come and touch Jesus. And this morning, I want to talk about that, keeping our hearts in a place where our hearts burn when he comes into the room. Have you ever wondered, and I've been on both sides of this scenario, how you can stand in a room and one person can be experiencing revival from an encounter with Jesus and the other person can honestly be feeling nothing. And I've been both sides of that one why are they getting touched? I want that. I'm not feeling nothing. And then I've been on this side where you're just undone because the presence of the Lord is meeting you in your heart. It's not him that changed. It's something about the condition or the reach or the recognition or the honoring of the Lord. You know, last night um, we had dinner, but You guys know him. Kevin Leal was uh, ministering at a church in West Virginia, and it was on live, and so we just turned it on. And, I mean, classic Kevin. He's 70-something years old now, but he was talking about visitation. He's always talked about visitation. I mean, he's talked about visitation for years, but he was talking about visitation. So we ended up watching the service with the kids, and it got to ministry time. I mean, we basically caught it at ministry time. And all of a sudden, he's sing this song and he was really nurturing he was really kind he's not always like that but so he, you know it was it was notable anyway he's a prophet he doesn't have to be it's all good but but he's pulling people up And he's praying over them, and they're falling down. And Henley's like, why did that person just fall down, Mom? And so we had an opportunity to explain, sometimes the Lord comes upon you, and your body can't stand up from beneath you. And you just go to the ground because the Lord is doing a work, and you don't want to rush that. You give him the time, and you give him the space. And he was praying over people, and he was you know, locating callings upon people's lives, and he was touching a marriage. And so we watched hearts be kind of reunified and it was like this is normal. But I've watched Kevin for years. I don't know the first time I was thirteen the first time, so it's been a little bit. And he hasn't changed. And I remember in a service a while ago he talked about I'm sure you guys actually remember this. Actually we have the scripture verse, but it's Psalms ninety verse twelve where it says, Teach me, Lord, you guys know this one too, don't you? Teach me, Lord. Ooh, my notes are out of order. Oh, that's wild, guys. Oh, there it is. Okay, never mind. Psalms 90, verse 12. Teach us, Lord, to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Another um, passage says, help us to remember our, to number our days and help us to interpret our lives correctly so that wisdom, your wisdom, will sit deeply in our hearts. And I remember him standing up here and going, I've lived for such and such in days. If I live to be this amount, I'll live this many days. And it was really impacting, so I actually I figured it out. Today, I live, have lived, 12,877 days. OK, so those are the days I've lived. And if I live to be 120, because <clears throat> my dad's Dave, and that is a promise, and he could tell you about that. So let's shoot for that, huh? I will live, live 30,923 more days. But God, teach me to number my days that each one I spend them on you. That each day with my impact, the impact upon my life that I would live, that it would be lifting you up. And that each day I would come running to you as a father and, and walk out the day as a much-loved daughter. There's something about... There's something about January that makes you want to assess it. And I refuse to think that you have to start January 1st because there's still leftovers in your fridge. How are you supposed to start dieting when there's leftovers in your fridge? I'm not dieting, but I'm just saying. How are you supposed, I don't know, you just stayed up until midnight. I haven't made it until midnight for years, but you just stayed up till midnight. How are you supposed to get up at the crack of dawn and embark on your all your goals? I don't think all that works. I take January as a moment of reflection. Maybe February 1st, I'll try to do something ambitious. But there's something about January that makes you go, in the last year, have I drawn closer to the Lord? In the last year, have I become more hungry for the things of of God? In the last year, has my heart burned more fervently for the kingdom and for what he's doing? Am I less frustrated and more hungry You know what I mean? Am I more intentional to invite him into every moment, or am I swallowed up with the things of the world, the cares of life, you know what I'm saying? The busyness, the the to-do list, that kind of things. Most of the times it's not sin that takes away your focus and your energy from him. Most of the times it's the busyness and the things that we have to accomplish. But we just need to invite him in because there's meaning in serving him in those ways. You know, one of the most impacting uh, thoughts, and I'm going to turn there, but it's Psalms 139. I wrote it all down, so I didn't have to do that. Psalms 139.16, and if you're ever having a down day, go into Psalms 139 and and read about how intentional the Lord is toward you. But in Psalms 139.16, it says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. It's talking about when you were being formed and fashioned in your mother's womb. And in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. And it says, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. You know, the revelation that the Lord saw you and with such intention, he, he wrote down a book with the days of your life in it. Now, he didn't plan out every one of your steps because he wants to honor you with your choice which is love, but he wrote down everything. He was so intentional toward you. He has a plan for you. Nothing's a surprise to him. He is in every aspect of your life. And this morning, he wants to waken us up from that mundane thing that says, I don't know, I just got to get some stuff done. I got to do the dishes again. I got to make the dinner again. I got to go to work again. It's just this endless loop of fulfilling things. You know, over at Christmas break, uh, we bought board games for the kids, because that's kind of fun and they're getting to the age where it's kind of fun. And one of the games that we played was life. They've updated this game. Inflation has touched it. But the other thing that's cool is they let you choose things. They let you choose whether you really want to go to college or whether you don't want to go to college. Do you really want to get married or don't you want to get married? Do you want to have kids? Da, 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 da. Can I tell you two things? You win the game by having lots of people in your car. They're all worth $50,000, so that's a good deal. Number two, I won this game. I don't know. I just wanted to include that because I never win that game. Sam was totally going to win that game. Invest money. I guess that's the other part. Okay. But before we played this game, we were telling the rules. And we were saying, okay, listen, kids. It's Henley and Ledger, and they're six and four. They're six and four. And so we had to tell them, listen, kids. The object of the game, you win if you have the most money at the end of the game. As I was saying it, as it was coming out of my mouth, it stung because I'm like, that's not what life is. So I had to clarify, listen, this is just a game. Don't base anything off this game. You win by having souls and your heart in heaven. Like, that's how you win in life. I just felt the need to catch them because it can shape your paradigm of what life is. Chasing after the most money, chasing after the most experiences— You know, can I say one other thing? Uh, Sam, I don't know, I showed Sam this song. It's been in my head since I started getting ready for this message. There was a a song from 1962, and I only heard the first line of it, and since then it's just a funny little wake-up call, I guess. We'll say it that way. It's called Little Boxes, Little Boxes. Who's heard this song? Little boxes made of ticky-tacky little boxes, little boxes on the hillside all the same. And it's talking about how the goal and the purpose of a system is designed that you would all live, we would all live in little boxes on the hillside that would all look just the same. And we would all go through the same uh, course of life, go to university, get your job, play on the golf course, drink your martinis dry. I don't know. Anyway, moving on. Have your children, or get married, have your children. Little boxes on a hillside, and they all look just the same. There's a system designed to squash the life right out of you by making everything look the same. Something inside of me goes, no! and I just built a little box on the hillside. But listen, there's nothing wrong with your little box on the hillside. It's just that God has designed, and he wrote in his book, the days of your life fashioned and created for you. You know, he set a pattern in the Bible where there was bread every morning that he provided for his children. It was supposed to be this picture that he's prepared something for you every day that we just have to go to him and grab onto it, and it will be life that fills our heart, that nourishes our souls and our spirits. He's a good God, and he's planned for you a full life of knowing him. Push back against the system that wants to make you go through the expectations. The enemy would love nothing more than to get you in this system where you don't look up to him and you don't ask him questions anymore. That we'd become so focused and consumed by, I got to make the donuts. I don't know, that's something that Pastor Mike used to say all the time. <laughs> there was a commercial, I think. I think there was a commercial, right? And so I got to get up and I got to go to work. And I got to do the work and then I got to go home. And I got to make the dinner and then I got to get the kids to bed and then I got to go to bed myself. And that's your day. The enemy would love nothing more than to rob you of the journey that you can have hand in hand with the Father, drawing your life and drawing your purpose and your hope from him. And like I said it before, there's something this morning that God wants to lift from your shoulders. There's something this morning that God wants to lift from our shoulders that we can run a little bit freer. You know, um, one passage in Hebrews, it's Hebrews eleven thirteen. And it's talking about those that went ahead of us and how they championed. And it goes through Abel and it goes through Enoch. And it talks about, thank you, Nathaniel. It talks about people that they did great things for the Lord, but the thing that was notable was their faith. And I, I challenge you this week to read through Hebrews 11. And anytime it says faith, sometimes that word can kind of blur into where we miss the meaning but replace the word faith with just trust but this the scripture verse it goes through it goes through a list of names i just want to read this one part it says these heroes all died still clinging to their faith not even receiving all that had been promised to them these are people that had glimpsed what god was up to they were living in this state of traditions, and just coming to God through sacrifice. But there are people who looked forward in time that God showed them a glimpse of Jesus who was coming. And they actually began to believe it so much that they pulled the reality that I can res- that I can have a way to, to Jesus, my Redeemer and my Savior. And they pulled that into the time that they were living in in their lives. Even though they didn't Get to live in the new covenant like we do, like where Jesus died on the cross and that your souls have been redeemed. They pulled that truth and that reality into their time period with their trust. And it says, they saw beyond the horizon, beyond the horizon, the fulfillment of their promises and gladly embraced it from afar. And they all lived their lives on earth, on earth as those who belong to another realm. And I want to challenge us, I guess, again this morning and say that's how they did it. That's how they didn't succumb to the systems and the designs of their culture and in their time. And and the covenant that they were living in is that they lived their lives on earth as those who belonged to another realm. They actually walked out their days as those who didn't belong to the systems on the earth, but they belonged to citizens of heaven and children of the Lord and that they could come to him with relationship. You know, David is one of my favorite examples of that. He broke all the rules when it came to worship and God loved every second of it. I want us to turn to uh, 1 Peter 7 through 9. You know, this is a very common uh, scripture verse. And it talks about casting your cares. When I was getting ready for this message, I, I heard it so strongly in my heart, um, the words, be alert and be vigilant. And so I went and I found these in the scripture and saw something just a little bit different because these are very common passages that I bet you've memorized. But in in verse 7, it says, "'Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober and be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him, steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world.'" This is such a loaded passage, you guys. He starts off about saying, casting all your cares. The word cast there is actually a, an action, a forceful action that I'm going to take every care and I'm going to throw it to Jesus. You know, the, the things that would make us hold that back is pride because we wouldn't want to bother him or, or no, baby do. That's what Wells says. He goes, you try to help him with something, he goes, no, baby do. No, baby do. And when I was reading through this, The scripture verse right before it says, Humble yourself unto the Lord, and he will exalt you in due time. And he continues, casting all your cares upon him. And I heard in my heart, like, okay, the voice of Wells going, like, why wouldn't you let me help help you? No, baby do. No, baby do. And I can see my own self doing this. I can hear my own voice going, no, I'm going to take care of it. No, baby do. No, baby do. You can't do it, Lauren. You can't do it cast your care. Give it to him. It's going to swallow you up. You're not meant to carry that. This isn't your burden to bear. You know, the word he cares for you, the actual word there is he's the watchman of your heart. He actually has stationed himself to watch your heart. And you know, your goal is to just cast the cares. Begin to throw them upon him. Get them off your shoulders. Can I tell you why? It goes on to say that you know, be sober and be vigilant. I've always taken the scripture verse like, okay, I just need to get more serious. I just need to get more serious and watch out because the devil's everywhere and he's trying to hunt me. And guess what? That's not exactly what it means because it doesn't make sense to live carefree and then stand there and be like, no, I'm going to be really serious. The truth is, it's funny. (laughs) I don't know. The truth is, when we take those cares upon ourselves, they actually become like arrows in our side that pierce us, and they're wounds to us that we cannot run freely, and they become the things that begin to trip us up, and they become the heavy things that weigh us down, that we cannot run. Hebrews talks about a race that was appointed personally for each one of us, and it says, the encouragement there is to lay everything aside, every uh, wound that would pierce you, and every sin that would entangle you. The wounds there are these arrows that begin to pierce our side, the things that begin to fester. And this is actually the answer, that I would not be so vigilant about the enemy, but that I would be vigilant with the watchman of my heart to say, okay, I just took an arrow, God. I gotta give that to you. I'm throwing the arrow onto you. I cast this care onto you. I'm not meant to carry this. You're the watchman of my soul. And I know, you know, I know in this room that there are you here that have loved ones that are afar off. And the enemy would love nothing more than to rob you of your freedom to run to him by causing arrows to be piercings in your side. I know that there's financial difficulties that want to become like weights upon your shoulders that you wouldn't trust him because it's, oh no, what's going to happen? But the watchman of your soul is waiting to partner with you. And it says he's there as a roaring lion. When we are vulnerable because we've been pierced and we've been weighed down so we can't run fast, the enemy, the, the lion, we're vulnerable because he is legitimately hunting you you can't run fast when you're limping. You can't run fast when you're trying to carry everything alongside you. Throw it, throw it, and run. Throw it, throw it, and run the race that the Lord has written in the book and appointed for you. You know, that race is the upward call that we would know him, that we would push past him indifference, and anything else that would try to hold us back, doubt and fear and disappointments and despair, and all these things that would try to rob us of our trust in him like a much-loved child. You know, that lion, all he can do is roar because he cannot defeat you. He is powerless to defeat you, but he is trying to overtake you. He is trying to get you low so that your heart would begin to draw away, so that your heart would begin to give up, and that you would be lulled to sleep from everything that the Lord has called you to be. These passages say be sober, be vigilant, be alert. In Thessalonians, it says we are not those who are lulled to sleep. We're not going to fall asleep because we have a great prize ahead of us and our hearts are stirred to be alongside him. These cares are the things that can overtake us where we won't recognize Jesus when he walks into our lives, into moments. You know, I'd like to turn to um, Luke 24. If you have your Bible, it's actually a very long story. And so I I didn't print that out. But this morning, and you guys know this one, and it's the road to Emmaus. It's two disciples that had just witnessed Jesus dying on the cross. These weren't, I think, they're not part of the 12, because the 12 were tucked in the room, or 11 were tucked in the room, and Judas, you know, but these were the 70 that had lived a lot of life alongside Jesus. They knew enough that they sat in those moments, and Jesus had explained to them, I will go, and I will suffer. I will die, but I will rise again in three days. Like, they had heard this, and they had read it in the scriptures, but these guys had just lived through this, and it's so shattered what they thought to be true, that they were ending up leaving Jerusalem. It could be argued that they were retreating and going, well, the last three years were a hot mess. I guess we're going to move on. Because they were giving up and and casting away what had been their world. And so in Luke 24, uh, verse 13, it starts, Now behold, two of them were traveling the same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all the things which had happened, and so it was while they conversed and reasoned that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes, their eyes were restrained so that they did not know him. And when he said to them, "What kind of conversation is this that you that you have with one another as you walk and are so sad?" And then the one named Cleopas answered and said to them kind of snippy, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And Jesus said to them, what things? Now listen to how they described the things. It says, so they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. Can I just stop for a second? They had spent three years watching Jesus open blind eyes and hearing all the prophecies and seeing all the confirmations, and they reduced him because of their experience to a prophet. They conversed and they reasoned away him as a Messiah because it didn't look the way they thought it would look. They were disappointed in what they saw because they had expected something different. And that's how they described him. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since all these things happened. They even knew the third day was very significant. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. And they came that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. This is how they described it. Literally, they went through detail by detail. They explained the gospel, but they didn't recognize him as a Messiah. They told the story as a significant prophet. Now, I've, I have a hard time with compassion toward them because I'm like, What? You sat with the Lord, you sat with Jesus. You saw the miracles. How could you talk yourself out of this? You know the third day and they even acknowledge, they didn't find the body, but I don't know. No, they said, it says they were sad. And you know what, Jesus met them with compassion because he was the one that sat there and he goes, why are you so sad? He came alongside them and said, why are you so sad? So Jesus met them with compassion. But then Jesus said to them, and I didn't find one translation that didn't say it like this, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets, in all that the prophets have spoken. A more accurate description of this though, because Jesus wouldn't call people foolish, is dullness of perception and hardness of heart. Can we just stop there for a second and say, oh, I hope I didn't wake him up. Sorry. Can we just say for a second, their disappointment caused their perception to become dull and their hearts to become hard, that they were walking alongside Jesus, but they were still so consumed with what they thought was should be and how it should have gone that they didn't recognize him even though he was speaking to them. Their eyes couldn't see it because they're cast, they hadn't cast their cares. They were consumed by them and it was about to take out take out their hearts. So Jesus goes, Ought not the Christ that suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus started back at square one. And then it says, They drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. So he said, All right, I'm going to go now. But instead, they said, they constrained him, saying, no, abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And so he went in and just stayed with them. You know, that word constrained, or how they actually talked to him, was like a friendly violence. Like they took hold of him, and they said, no, you can't go. But what, what I see is that they begin to invite him. They still didn't know it was Jesus, but they actually, through him speaking, they could feel a change in their hearts. They began to invite him. But this is the clincher. I love that God waited until this moment. It says, now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took bread, he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. He had done this before with them. This was communion. When they sat down at the table and broke bread, this is when, it says, then their eyes were opened and they knew him. See, he met them with compassion, They didn't recognize him still. He explained to them, no, this is really the truth. And they still couldn't see it. But their hearts were stirred enough to know, well, I don't want him to go anywhere. They invited him to come and they sat down at the table. But the thing that opened their eyes was when they began to break bread, which is intimacy, guys. And they began to partake of that. And that's when their eyes recognized that it was Jesus. Can I say something? There's something about recognizing when he's with you and then inviting him and engaging with him. Like we just went through worship and we sang, you know, we sang Yeshua. That's a, is it Hebrew? Is it Arabic? Is it Greek? Thank you guys. It's Hebrew. It's Hebrew for Messiah, honestly, or Jesus. And we're singing these words and you can sing the word. You can sing the name and move on with the service. You can sing the name and remember what he's done and be thankful. Or you can sing the name like you're looking to the one that, that died on the cross for your sins, that redeemed you, that knows you, that called you by name, that has appointed something for you, that wants to run, run with you and hold your hand and pick you up and love you and speak to you, that's ordained a destiny for you, that you can commune with him as somebody who loves him. It's all just a choice on how you recognize him. I'm going um, to close with this. But OK, so my daughter, she's six. And I remember when she was a baby, she was my first. And so everything was new. And there was nothing else to do other than just sit with your little one. And that was really sweet. It gets pretty busy after that. <laughs> But when Henley was a baby, she, she she would not let me out of her sight. And I was thinking about this. Or honestly, the Lord might have just reminded me. She would she would cup my face like this when we would sleep. Yes, I'm a crunchy mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would nap, I would rest, whatever. And she would fall asleep by stroking my hair and cupping my face. And she was so content and peaceful, and that's how she, and she'd eventually roll over and just pass out. But, but that's how she lived out her days. Um, Sam and I, we'd be trying to put her down to sleep, and if Sam was going to try to put her to sleep, I couldn't whisper. Because she would know. She would hear me in the other room, and then she would have to come and be with mom. She'd have to be with me. Sometimes it was a little, you know, it was a little much, but honestly, it's sweet. It's so sweet. If I breathed, if I was around the corner and I breathed, she would hear it, and she would have to be with me. My mom would hold her in the sanctuary here, and if I was gonna play piano, I had to duck and hide amongst you guys so that she wouldn't see me so I could come and finish out a service or whatever it was because she had to be with me. She would, I remember at the time I taught piano lessons so I was gone and I would come home and the windows would be open um, or the windows were open one night and I had a little song I'd sing to her. and. I'd parked the car, and I knew she hadn't noticed that I was home yet. So outside the door, I sang, peanut pie, peanut pie. because There's whatever, it's a whole song. And she squealed and ran to the door because she had heard the song and knew that I was home. And I was sitting there remembering these things, and I had to ask myself, or maybe it was the Holy Spirit, Do I need anything like that? Do I need the Lord? Do I cup his face? When he whispers, do I hear it? If his footsteps are walking through the room, do I run? There is something about our need for the Lord. You know, right now, there's just such a tenderness God really is drawing hearts. And there's no reproof with it. There's no reproof that says, how could you take cares upon yourself? How could you draw away? There's actually just this invitation that says, none of that was yours in the first place. Come to me and, and are you aware of your great need for me? And will you, do you recognize that I'm here? There's such a tenderness toward the Lord, and there's such a softness that wants to come over our hearts. Do we need the Lord like Henley needed her mother? Do we need the Lord like like she was when she was a baby and she needed nurture? You know what I'm saying? That she knew that there was a source. Sam talked about being a child last week. Do we need the Lord like a much-loved child who can run to him? I think there's a softening of our hearts when he comes. And this morning, I really think that's what he wants to do. That's the fight, is to keep our hearts burning. You know, this, a heart that burns. Those disciples, once their eyes opened up, they said to themselves, astonished that they hadn't seen it prior, didn't our hearts burn when he was walking with us? Didn't our hearts burn as he was speaking to us? Is your heart burning because he is here? Is your heart burning because he is speaking to you? Is there tenderness for when he calls out your name? The enemy wants to rob you from this tender place with the Lord as a much-loved child, as a son or daughter, but before the responsibilities were ever placed on your shoulder to be an employee, to be an employer, to be, to be a husband, to be a wife, to be a father, to be a mother, he just called you to be a son, and he called you to be a daughter, and that you would come and just know him and find him. And there's a release of weights. You don't have to become all that, all that the picture, the game of life wants you to become. You just need to be able to recognize the voice and the footsteps coming and say, Jesus, I'm here. I want mercy. I want your mercy. And I want to recognize you when you come. And there's a lifting of weights this morning and a softening of our hearts today. Worship team, uh, you can come. We're going to close with that. You know, Henley, she's six now, and she's actually, you can stand if you would. Henley's grown to be a very confident, um, independent child. Where she actually prefers Sam more than she prefers me now, it feels. So whatever. <laughs> and that's normal that you would grow up, you know, as a, as a human or as a child and you your dependence upon your parents would lessen and lessen but see in the kingdom it increases and increases and your need from him only grows and grows because the more that you see of him the more you must have of him you know we can get so busy with trying to accomplish things that we can just even the great commission we can get so busy in trying to do it that we can lose our place, our footing, or our position just as a child. Our child who cups the face of our Savior and our our, our God. We're going to worship in just a minute. And honestly, that was all I had is just whether this is a challenge or whether it's just a a question, January is a month. Where it's fun to ask, "Am I more tender toward the things of the Lord than I was last year? Am I drawing closer with more intention? Am I softer, and am I more more, um, affectionate toward the Lord than I was last year?" And just like Peter or Paul said, leaving everything behind, he is the great prize, and so it's worth it to grow softer and to grow closer. We're just going to take a minute and sing here and begin to respond to him. And whether it's weight that you have to cast toward him or just looking and finding and recognizing and inviting and acknowledging, I just want to encourage you guys to do that right now. Staying in this atmosphere we're going to um, gonna dismiss in just a minute but would you just join me in prayer this morning um, just as we were singing you know there's marriages in this room that the enemy would like to disunite your hearts and um, cause there to be such a shaking or such a tension, such a strife that um, you'd be so distracted that you'd miss out on drawing your life from Him and building what He's called you to build together as a couple. And so there's marriages that God wants to strengthen this morning. I just see too, like there's a, there's something about getting tired and quitting. And this morning, I just want to speak life over callings, that you wouldn't abort the calling that God has for you. There's, you know, there's people in this room that we're called to encourage, that were called to Im- impart life when they walk into the room. But it's like the enemy has so tried to tie you up um, this distraction or discouragement. you kind of just been like, you know what, I don't want any problems. I'm just going to stay quiet. I'll just stay quiet. I don't want to mess with it. It's not worth it. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. And there's people here that your heart's just gotten a little bit cold or hard and God's just God is just here as a tender God there's no correction there's just a drawing this morning there's just a drawing this morning you know we talk about believing promises and you are people of faith but you're also lovers passionate lovers whose hearts he he won't let drift away without pursuing And so would you just come, would you just open up? Father, we just speak to marriages. God, we just speak to marriages. God, I thank you that you are the third cord. I thank you, God, and I speak peace into homes. God, that you begin uniting hearts. And that the enemy would be bound from trying to rip and to tear and to cause division. But I just speak life into marriages, into homes, that they'd be peaceful places where they would host you, God. They would host you and that they would build their life upon the foundation that you have. God, that it would be said that they built their life chasing after their God together. So I just speak life over those marriages this morning. And I speak life over callings. God, the God of encounter, would you come and encounter again? The God who called them once, would you begin to call their hearts again? Would you draw them closer, God? That there'd be such a powerful lean in, and there should be such a powerful yes on hearts this morning. That they, that you would come and that you'd begin to strengthen strengthen their arms, that you'd begin to strengthen them up, that you'd send encouragers along their way, that they would cast off weariness, that they'd cast off indifference, that they'd cast off anything that would try to draw them away, but they'd say yes again. And Father, I thank you for the hearts that you're drawing this morning. I thank you for hunger. I thank you for hunger. I thank you for stirring. God, I thank you that you're walking in the midst again. And that I thank you just for such a heart that would say, Jesus, I'm here. I'm not going to let you pass without grabbing onto you this morning. I thank you for stirring hearts and softening hearts, God. This isn't a work of striving, church. But he is here, and he's just drawing. We are not those who shrink back, but we are those who grab on to hope, that grab on to promise. And we capture those those truths, and we bring it from heaven to earth. God, let it be said to us, said about us, that we were like those who lived in another realm, and that as we walked the earth, that we brought hope that we brought life, that we brought encouragement, that we brought salvation on our feet, God, that we share the good news, that we would share the joy and the lightness that comes from your kingdom, God. God, I thank you for the work that you began this morning. I think that you're faithful to complete every work that you begin. Let this be the beginning of conversations, God. In Jesus' name. I just bless each one that came this morning, each one that's viewing today. I just bless you and I bless your week. That God is literally, his face is turned toward you this morning. I just want to invite our prayer counselors this morning to come up. If you need that personal agreement with you for whether whatever circumstance or whether it's just your own heart, I just want to invite our prayer counselors to the front. And I think we're going to dismiss this morning. And so thank you so much for coming today. We appreciate you and be blessed.